0: You know, there is something attractive and powerful and almost magnetic about passion, isn't there? I believe it was John Wesley who said, Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles around just to watch you burn. At least I think he said that. When I went to Google to confirm that, there were a number of people that attributed that quote to him, and there were a number of people that had set up whole web pages to establish the fact that that is not Fantastic. present in any of his writings. <laughs> so thank you, Internet, for that. However, <laughs> there is something very powerful and attractive about passion, about genuine and authentic passion. And it might be slightly diminished by the sensationalism of everything around us today. But when you see somebody that is passionate, whether they're passionate about education or they're passionate about the medical field or they're passionate about Pinochle or they're passionate about some other thing, there's something that draws you in. And you get some of their passion as they're passionate about that. And i got to just share with you how excited I am about the 24 hours of prayer that we had this weekend. It started on Friday afternoon. It went through Saturday afternoon. And several weeks ago, I had just made it known that I would love to see that grow. And we had about a 70% increase in the number of people who participated in our 24 hours of prayer. So praise the Lord for that. Let's give Him thanks and praise. And thank you for participating From what I could tell, there were between 20 and 25 people that did that for the first time that set aside that hour of prayer to come and to pray through our building, and I'm so excited about what's going to happen in this fall ministry season because of the prayers that were prayed, and I can feel it already as we sang that last song. You know, worship team, thank you so much for leading us, but as we sang that song, I was like, yeah, people were praying in here this weekend, and uh, I was just excited and encouraged and so wanted to... Thank you for that. And uh, as we wrap up this Holy Fire Sermon Series, this is the fifth and final week of that. Um, I just want to throw that out. If you missed one or you want to share one, we've made that really easy. There's a lot of ways you can do that. You can do it through our app. You can watch or, um, or catch something that you miss. You can watch live. If you're watching online right now, you can do that in the app. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it on YouTube. We have a podcast. And if you want to share one or more of those messages with somebody that you think would be encouraged by it, you can do that as well. Today we're going to be talking about being on fire for God. You've probably heard that terminology before. You've heard that phrase before. Sometimes we use it to describe somebody that's new in their faith and they're just on fire for God. Other times it's somebody that is stepping into a calling and they're really on fire. Sometimes it's evangelistic fervor that, that is just obvious in somebody's life. And we say, man, they're really on fire for God. And yet this isn't supposed to be a momentary thing that just describes a season of our lives that that we have a first love that that we should have a highest priority on the things of God in our lives and so whether you're introverted or extroverted or however that on fire and that passion manifests itself that it would be evident to people that you're on fire for God. In fact, I believe God's people should be on fire for God's mission. God's people should be on fire for God's mission. That was almost the bottom line. So you might want to write that one down. That's like the alternate bottom line. I wrote that one down early. I thought that could be the bottom line because I really believe that that's true, that God's people should be on fire for God's mission. And one of the passages I thought I might preach on came to mind and I didn't end up preaching on it, but I want to reference it. It's from Luke chapter 24. After the, after the death of Jesus Christ, there's a couple of disciples that are on their way to a little town called Emmaus, a few miles, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they have an encounter with the risen Christ. They don't know it at the time. And then they realize afterwards that they were walking with Jesus the whole time. And they say, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures to us. That there's something about being in the presence of Christ, something about the scripture coming alive in us that, that would cause our hearts to be on fire. And yet I think sometimes we reach for a spiritual antacid. We, we want to we deal with the holy heartburn. We want, this isn't comfortable, I'm not sure what to do with this. And, and so we sort of let it diminish. We we allow it to die out. We don't feed that fire. We don't add fuel to that fire, we take something that quells the fire. We look for a distraction. We get distracted by social media or by television or by by other things, and we have an enemy who is always looking to distract us from God's priorities, from God's mission. Too often, we end up becoming on fire for lesser things, right? Right? Football season's about to begin, and you'll see that there are some people that are on fire for their pro football team. Or maybe it's a hobby, or maybe it's politics, or maybe there are, are even things that we would elevate above those. They're very, very good things that can, we can be on fire for them and not be on fire for God. Things like family, things like work, things like our studies, and we make those the main thing, and we kind of subvert God and his mission for us in this world, his vision for our lives, gets relegated to a second class status. And C.S. Lewis has pointed out whenever you make a first order priority, a second order priority, every time you take something that is second and put it over what should be first, you lose them both. If you take something that is good but it's not best and you make that your priority, you lose both. Because we have an order of priority that is right for us. It is kingdom first. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to be added to you. The kingdom of God, God's mission in this world is to be our priority, our first priority. How do we keep that fire hot and not allow good things to overtake the number one thing? the end of that teaching from mere christianity c.s lewis summarizes it by saying if you aim at earth if you aim at heaven you get earth thrown in aim at earth you miss them both when we aim at heaven when we set our sights on heaven jesus is saying all these other things are going to be added to you when you get the kingdom priority right but if we aim at any of those other things we miss both kingdom has to be first And there's a passage in one of Paul's letters uh, to Timothy that really articulates what we are to do with this holy fire that is entrusted to us. So I want to spend our time today looking at this passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's uh, page 1852. If you need to grab one of the pew Bibles, they're in the seats in front of you or on the tables if you're seated at a table. If you're joining us online, man, we are so glad that you found us. We'll have these on the screen, but I always recommend that you have a Bible open with you and you can write a note or underline something that you want to come back to. Let me read this passage, and then we'll walk back through it. Um, But here's what Paul, the older, more experienced pastor, towards the end of his life, is writing to Timothy, the younger, less experienced pastor, at the beginning of his ministry. He says, "'I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also.'" For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so this little passage that comes at the beginning of what is the second of two letters that we have in our Bible, there may have been more, we're not 100% sure, they may have been lost, but we know there are at least two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, and the first letter is full of advice on church leadership and on how to deal with false teachers that were rising up or were coming in from the outside to this church that Timothy was pastoring in the city of Ephesus, and it was a pretty growing ministry it was a vibrant ministry it was a ministry that was influential to that whole region and so he writes to him to give him advice on how to lead that church well who to bring in as elders and deacons how to equip them and how to deal with those that might be sowing false seed or might be pushing people in the wrong direction. The second letter is full of encouragement to stand firm and to press on. And it's one of Paul's later letters that is written. And so it comes as he's nearing the end of his life. And he wants to make sure that Timothy doesn't let his fire grow cold. Doesn't get burdened and overwhelmed with the weight of the ministry or doesn't check out completely. But stays passionate and stays on mission. And so he begins in verse 5 by reminding him... By reminding him himself, Paul reminds himself, he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. And then he says something really interesting. He said, it was first in your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, and I believe it has been passed on to you. And, and there's a little bit of an aside here, but it fits in so beautifully that sincere faith is transmitted generationally. That parents pass it on to their children and then to their children and their grandchildren, and the generations are blessed by the transmission of sincere faith. And one of our core values here at Linwood that we talk an awful lot about is leaving a legacy of faith. We want to transmit faith from one generation to the next. And Linwood is a multi-generational family of families that, that we are broadly diverse. Generationally, We have people in leadership in the ministry here from five different generations, from Gen Z to the Gen Y and millennials to Gen X, baby boomers, and the greatest generation. There are people that are leading and serving in ministry. And I celebrate that. I think that's one of our greatest strengths. And I think the intentionality to leave a legacy of faith and the priority that we place on our children's ministry and our youth ministry and doing something like a pastoral residency all fits with this to transmit sincere faith from one generation to the next and in that line we're going to be bringing our students and educators down front today and in the second service we'll bring all the little guys in all the kids in with their backpacks as they get ready to go to school and just pray for them and pray for teachers and I want to encourage you to be praying for teachers as kids head back to school that we would be making sure we're leaving a legacy of faith And before we move on, I just want to ask you parents and and grandparents, how sincere is your faith and how intentional are you in transmitting that sincere faith? Because this is really important. This really, really matters. And that word sincere is an important word. It means it's genuine and it really means it's without hypocrisy. It's not phony or fake. And if there's one thing I know about this upcoming generation, it's that they can spot a fake from a mile away. They know what's phony and what's authentic. And when they see authentic, passionate faith, they lean in and they want to know what's that all about. It's one of the best things that we can do is cultivate a sincere faith for ourselves and then be intentional in transmitting that sincere faith to the next generation. Whether that's your own children, or serving in an area of ministry that is transmitting faith to the next generation. And you might be thinking, well, that's too late, I kind of I messed that, I missed that one. And I would remind you of a quote that's often used to talk about planting a tree, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, right? The second best time is today. And the second, the best time to be intentional about cultivating and transmitting a sincere faith to the next generation is 20 years ago. But the next best time is today. And you can be intentional about transmitting a sincere faith. You've got to cultivate a sincere faith so that you can transmit a sincere faith. And so there's a number of ways that you might do that, but I would encourage you to emphasize and to focus on progress over perfection. Focus on progress over perfection you're not going to get it right all the time right away but if we focus on progress if we do the if we do the work to deal with our own Issues. If we spend time in God's word, if we spend time in prayer and we cultivate those things and we lean into God and into the things of God and we have fresh bread to share with other people if we get involved in a banding together group or if we need counseling or therapy to help us get over things from our past whether that's trauma or dysfunctional family or spiritual abuse that keeps us from leaning into God's word or being fully engaged in a church then we take the time and we spend the money to get well and healthy and engage in fellowship. But wherever you feel the Spirit of God nudging you, if you're you're not focused on cultivating and transmitting a sincere faith to the next generation, then I want to encourage you to start today. Start today. Be intentional in that. Next verse, verse 6. This is really the heart of our passage today where... Paul says, For this reason, this sincere faith that I believe is in you, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I, I couldn't help but notice that word or that phrase, I remind you. It's as if Paul has talked about this before, that there was a conversation or multiple conversations where Paul says, Timothy, this is in you. Don't lose it, don't waste it, develop it, cultivate it. I remind you, Paul's told him this before. And then he exhorts him to faithfulness. It's as if he's done this before. In fact, this whole section, verses 6 through 14, contains exhortations where Paul is encouraging and exhorting Timothy to faithfulness. In the next chapter, verses 1 through 13, do the same. And so another side note, who are your encouragers? Who are the people that encourage you, that spur you on, that exhort you? to be faithful and to be intentional with your faith? Do you have a small group of people that you meet with on a regular basis that can encourage you, that can prod you along, that can stir you up, that can stoke your fire when you are starting to lose passion? We need this. We're not meant to go it alone. And so Paul steps into this role for Timothy and he encourages us to not only have this group of people, but to be one of these people for others, to be an encourager, to say, I see something in you. Develop it. Cultivate it. Because Paul says you need to fan this into flame. What happens to an ember if you don't fan it into flame? It just dies away, right? We're to take charge of our own spiritual growth. We're not to neglect it or to delegate that to somebody else or to outsource it in some way. We're to grow it. We're to be strategic and intentional. Now, as long as there have been men, they've wanted fire because God cooked meat tastes better than raw meat, right? So people have been trying to figure out how to make fire for a long time, and they've come up with all kinds of different ways. And so, you know, maybe uh, you've seen one of these. It's called a bow drill, where you take this and you hook this around it. I'm not going to do it on, because, you know, I probably can't, but you're trying to create enough friction running that bow drill back and forth as this rubs on here, it will create that ember, Or if you've ever seen one of these, uh, it's just a flint and striker, you grind off a little bit of magnesium, you strike a spark on it, it gets hot. But however you're trying to build a fire, if you're starting from nothing, it's going to take strategy and intentionality. You don't get a big burning blaze of fire by stacking a bunch of wood together and throwing a few sparks on it, do you? That's not going to get the job done, is it? And if you've ever seen like a fire-making challenge on Survivor or something like that, they set out all their materials, they have a strategy, they're intentional, and then they work through it deliberately. And they start with something small like a husk from a coconut or something that is quickly flammable. And they get that going and then they add a few twigs to that that can catch fire quickly and get more heat and they progressively add more and more and so they they bring it in now we cheat today and we just go okay i got fire right and we don't worry i'm not gonna (laughs) i'm not gonna actually light this on fire but we still need to be intentional we still need to have a plan i can hold this right here for a long time and it's never going to catch on fire But if I have a plan, and I have some intentionality, and I take the spark, and I fan it into flames, and I blow on it gently, and then, you know, maybe take one of these. We always called this a fire poofer. I guess the technical term is a bellows. But we begin to just gently, and then it grows, and then it grows, and we add more fuel, and we add more fuel pretty soon. We could have a whole bonfire. Side note, this was given to me by a pastor friend before I left to go to my first church in West Virginia where I was going to be the senior pastor. And he wrote two Timothy 1.6, fan into flames, the gift of God that is in you. And I've always kept that and I've always had it with me as a reminder that if I'm not intentional, that flame will go out. It will diminish. We have to keep adding fuel. We keep, keep adding to that fire. It takes time. It takes strategy. It takes intentionality. And then we fan into flames that gift that is in us. And we have a tremendous resource available to us as believers in Jesus Christ. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in the letter to the Galatians when he's describing the fruit of the Spirit, he says, if we are led by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Spirit is breath. Spirit brings fresh air to our fire. If we keep in step with the Spirit going where the Spirit goes because we're reading the Word, because we're spending time in prayer, because we're looking for the opportunities that God will give us to share or to transmit our faith or to give witness or to serve, then that will naturally fan into flames the gift that is in us. And we may need to seek help from time to time. We may need to borrow fire from somebody else. From time to time, a story was told on a a podcast that I was listening to this week as somebody who they were going through a really difficult time, a really difficult season spiritually and they were in a liturgical tradition where they said the creeds every week and they went with their friend one week and they turned to their friend and said, you know, I don't know if I believe any of this right now. And their friend just said, that's okay, I'll say it for you. You can borrow some of my faith. Are you walking with people who will lend you some of their faith, lend you some of their passion? Are you one of those people for somebody else that you stay hot so that when somebody that you're walking through life with is cold, you can come alongside them and give them some passion to keep their fire from going out? This is the vision that God has for his people and for his church. I'm convinced of it. And so we can seek help, but we also have to take responsibility for our faith and for fanning into flames the gift of God. That's the next phrase that I want to look at just briefly for a moment, and then we'll come back to it uh, towards the end. But he says, fan into flames the gift of God which is in you. And commentators are, uh, tend to agree that Paul's talking about a spiritual gift, that each of us has at least one spiritual gift. Some of us have several spiritual gifts that we can utilize for God's kingdom you can read about the spiritual gifts as they're explained in Scripture in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. There's lists of them and they get little definitions. And so we build out this this pool of spiritual gifts. And in a body, in a church, in the body of Christ, all the gifts are present. That's also made clear in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the gifts are present within the body. And so we'll come back to that in just a moment, but that's the gift that we're to fan into flames, is the spiritual gift that God has given us for the benefit of the local church. And he says, through the laying on of my hands, he's talking about an ordination service or or some time in Paul's life where he laid hands on Timothy and he prayed for him and he commissioned him. And he finishes by saying, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, or some translations say a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, or self-discipline. You see, if we're afraid to use our gift, it's not coming from God. That fear is not coming from God. That timidity or that thing that causes us to pull back is not coming from God. It's coming from his enemy. God didn't give us the spirit of fear, the spirit of timidity. Paul's reminding Timothy of that as well. He's saying the spirit that God has given us is the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind or of self-discipline. You have power. We talked about this in week one. God gives his power power. For his purposes. He has a purpose for the gift that he has given you. You have power. And you are called to love. And to be disciplined. To use that gift for his kingdom. And so I want to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts. And our bottom line today is that spiritual gifts lead to spiritual growth. Spiritual gifts lead to spiritual growth. They lead to your spiritual growth, and they lead to our spiritual growth. When you use your spiritual gift, you grow spiritually. That's just the way it works. And when you use your spiritual gift, the rest of us can grow spiritually because spiritual gifts lead to spiritual growth. That's the whole point, kingdom growth. And so what is your spiritual gift? What are your spiritual gifts Do you know what they are? Can you articulate them? Do you understand what they are? Or could you use some help in this area? I believe we are to know our spiritual gifts and grow our spiritual gifts. We're to know them and grow them. Do you know what yours is? And if you don't, we have a tremendous resource available to you. There are spiritual gifts assessments that have been, been written over time and you used to have to take them by paper and hand score them, and it was really cumbersome. And now you can do this you know, in a, in a much shorter amount of time and get a great detailed report. And so we have a spiritual gifts assessment that we're making available to you. There's no cost whatsoever to this, and uh, we're just asking you to take it. Take the assessment. Even if you have a pretty good idea what your spiritual gifts are, Take the test. Get some confirmation. Get some direction. Get some insight around how God has equipped you because that gift is not just for you. It's for his kingdom. And so you can use the QR code and scan that and that'll take you to a test. You can just go to linwoodchurch.org slash spiritual gifts and you can take this test. It'll take you about 10 or 15 minutes. I took it. And then you will discover what that spiritual gift is or get some clarity around what that spiritual gift is. And because this is unique to Linwood, we'll have a snapshot of people's spiritual gifts. So we can help you. We can coach you along this. We can help you find out what your next step might be and where you can utilize that spiritual gift. Because spiritual gifts grow stronger with use. And I would encourage you to expect a little bit of soreness at first. Like anytime you exercise a muscle for the first time in a long time, it gets sore, right? December 31st, I could do precisely zero pull-ups. I tried and I counted and the answer was zero. I couldn't get my knees off, you know, I couldn't get anything moving upward. And so I decided, you know, I'd really like to be able to do some pull-ups. I think this would be good. And so I started with some bands And these exercise bands, I could hook them over the bar, and then I could hook them over my knee. And with 60 pounds worth of bands pulling me up, I could do a pull-up. And then I was sore. Let me tell you how sore I was. I could barely wash my hair for three days. It was hard. Oh my gosh, everything hurt. But I kept doing it, and pretty soon I could do two or three with 60 pounds, and then I could do four or five and then I could drop some weight and I could do two or three or four or five with 40 pound bands and then 20 pound bands and then five pound bands and eventually I could do a pull-up without any assistance but it took time it didn't start right away it wasn't comfortable right away in fact it was quite painful right away and if you step into service somebody might tell you to do something that you just don't want to do Or somebody may not respond the way that you would expect them to respond to you serving in God's church. And yet our spiritual gifts will grow stronger with use. But they'll grow weaker when they're not used. And they may even go dormant. So whatever you do with your spiritual gifts, don't ignore them. We all lose. And I'm... a little bit conflicted about really bringing this up and, and driving this point home, because usually when I do, the people who are already doing a lot do a little bit more, and very few people really step in and start using their spiritual gifts. And, and let me tell you, there are a lot of spiritual gifts sitting on the sideline at Linwood and in God's kingdom. And it breaks my heart, and I think it breaks God's heart. And so I'm a little conflicted bringing this up because I don't want you doing it out of guilt, and I certainly don't want it to come across that I'm trying to shame or guilt anybody into anything. But if you're not using your spiritual gifts in your local church, you should be. I I feel like I can make that claim scripturally. And I want you to experience the joy of serving. Did you know we had 41 kids in Kids Way last weekend on a summer weekend that's a lot of kids in Kids Way that's awesome that ministry continues to grow it has grown through the summer when ministries tend to retract a little bit in the summer and so we're looking at the fall and we're thinking wow what are we going to have 3 or 4 weeks into the fall but we don't have enough volunteers for that ministry to grow much more in fact some weeks we're we're short of volunteers in Kids Way we need some people to step forward and say I don't know what it looks like, but I have this gift or this gift or this gift, and I'm willing to use it in this ministry. Maybe once or twice a month. It's not like it's a life sentence. 52 weeks a year for the rest of your life, you have to be there. But you can schedule. You can schedule when you're going to be gone. You can schedule when you've got family coming in and you need to not be there. But if everybody were to serve one or two times a month, In kids' way and in first impressions, those teams would fill out. And there would be a lot of variety and people would be utilizing their spiritual gift and they would be growing and there would be new faces on these serving teams. And we have two services which enables you to serve at one and then attend one if that helps you and helps your family. You could do that. You could come to the first service. You guys have already broken uh, that, that resistance. You're here at that early service and then you could serve at the second service. Or if you really want to be in this first service, or I'm sorry, if you would like to serve in this first service, maybe you can serve and then go to the second service every now and then if that's what uh, is needed. But I want you to experience the joy of serving, and there are some people that really aren't serving at Linwood, and we need you to step in and find a way to serve, and we'll help you find a way to serve. Because Ephesians 2.10 says that God... Created good works for us to do. He says, you are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared good things for us to do, and then he gives us this spiritual gift to be able to do them. And so if you don't use your spiritual gift to do what God has equipped you and created you to do, if you don't do the good works that God has created in advance for us to do, then they don't get done. Or the wrong person does them. And so now they're not serving in their area of spiritual gifting because they're serving in your area of spiritual gifting because it's critical and just the dominoes fall. And and, and if we would all just steward our spiritual gift well, then the spiritual gifts would lead to spiritual growth. And we could fan into flames that gift. And maybe we could even get to the point where Jeremiah was. In the middle of Jeremiah, which I read this summer in our Banding Together group. He's struggling with his calling. It's gotten to the point that he can't resist it. He can't stop even if he wanted to. In chapter 20 verse 9, he says, "If I say I will not mention him, God, or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot." Oh, that that was the description of each and every one of us. I prayed that scripture over our church, that we would all have such a passionate burning in our bones. And it would be irresistible that we couldn't stop it, even if we wanted to. That we would fan that gift into flames. You remember making torches as a kid with a campfire? You take a stick and you put it in the fire right and then you pull it out and you'd be like look I got a torch it didn't last very long did it the fire would go out and then you'd be left with just a bunch of smoke right and your kid your parents would say quit doing that you're making a bunch of smoke put the put the stick in and leave it well that's why there's a stick on your chair on the way in it's a object lesson it's something that I want to encourage you to take with you and put someplace that you will see it on a regular basis and don't take your branch out of the fire. Put your branch in the fire and leave it there. There's a quote from The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Cis- There's a devotional that goes with that. And I want to read this to you to close our time together. He says, We often forget that The people Jesus chose to form the leadership of his church were neither spiritually nor emotionally mature. Like us, they had a great deal to learn. Peter, the point leader, had a big problem with his mouth and was a bundle of contradictions. Andrew, his brother, was usually quiet and remained behind the scenes. James and John were called sons of thunder because they were aggressive, hot-headed, ambitious, and intolerant. Philip was skeptical and negative. He had limited vision. We can't do that, summed up his lack of faith when confronted with the problem of feeding the 5,000. Nathaniel was prejudiced and opinionated. Matthew was the most hated person in Capernaum, working in a profession that abused innocent people. Thomas was quick to doubt and generally pessimistic. James, son of Alphaeus, and Judas, son of James, were practically nobodies. The Bible says nothing about them. Simon the Zealot was a freedom fighter and considered by many to be a terrorist in his day. Judas, the treasurer, was a thief and a loner, and he pretended to be loyal to Jesus, then betrayed him. Most of them, however, did have one great quality. They were willing. They were willing. When Jesus said, follow me, they got up and followed him. That's all God asks. May we follow him, take our branch, place it in the fire and leave it there for you today take the branch, take it home, put it somewhere that you'll see it, begin praying about how you can use your spiritual gift to bless God's church and let this be your offering today, if you're not serving somewhere at Linwood or not serving regularly, there are all kinds of places on our connection card that you can indicate that you would like to begin serving First Impressions team and kids way would be the areas where we have the greatest need but obviously we want this to be matched to your spiritual gifts. so take the assessment email a pastor say i'd love to visit with you about this fill that out and place it in the offering and take the first step as we conclude we have time for some extended response today And so I want to invite you to come to the altars. I want to invite you to go to the prayer cross. I want you to maybe make an altar where you're seated or make an altar at home and respond in faith to God and to his word and to what he has been saying to you individually. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gift that you have given to each and every one of us. The spiritual gift that is not just for us, it's for your body, it's for the church. And and thank you for having a place for us to use that gift, for having a place for us to serve and to grow. And I pray that as we do, as we fan into flames the gifts that have been given to us, that will bring about growth, not only in our own lives, but in your church and in your kingdom throughout this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.